Hello, I'm Chris Martinson, CEO of Peak Prosperity, the author of The Crash Course, and I'm gonna be your presenter today as we talk about in this weekly update, In Bad Faith. Have the big tech sensors gone too far? I think they have on a lot of dimensions, and so we wanna talk about this. Big week going on this past week, what with Elon Musk purchasing Twitter, quite the uproar around that, and it really revolves around this idea of censorship and free speech, but as we'll find out today, this censorship was anything but even-handed and anything but free of government fingerprints all over it. So let's talk about this because this is a fundamental, foundational, First Amendment kind of a right. And I think we should be able to discuss that without being labeled domestic terrorists or whatever the uh, nom de plume of the is is gonna be for us, those of us who wanna just ask questions, have a free and open debate and conversation. By the way, I am a free speech maximalist. I believe in my right to consume anything I want through words and or speech. And if I hear it, I trust that I'm not gonna go off the rails and suddenly turn into a rabid polar bear if I hear like the wrong information. Now that's because I trust myself, but I also trust you that way. And that is something that increasingly the censors simply don't do. They don't trust you. They think that if you and your poor little head are exposed to the wrong information, you'll do bad things with that information, which even ignores the more universal sort of growth maxim, which is that we only grow when we make bad decisions. So those who would even seek to protect us from our own selves are actually asking us not to grow, to be formed and born perfect in every possible way and to not make any mistakes along the way. It's a, it's, it's a non-humanist sort of a standpoint. I'm against it. So let's talk about this and let's go where we need to start right here. This is a really big deal. So the court recently, October 21st, had ordered depositions of top Biden officials in the Missouri Attorney General's case. And as well, I believe they've been joined in um, by Louisiana. Quote, the United States District Court for the Western District of Louisiana granted Missouri and Louisiana's request for depositions from top ranking officials in the federal government. So carrying on. This is movement in his lawsuit against top-ranking Biden administration officials for allegedly colluding to suppress freedom of speech. Ooh, that's a First Amendment no-no. That's a big one. The list of granted depositions includes Dr. Anthony Fauci, ouch, former White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, ooh, ouch, Director of White House Digital Strategy Rob Flaherty, Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, CISA Director Jen Easterly and FBI Supervisory Special Agent Elvis Chan. Good name there, Elvis. Quote, after finding documentation of a collusive relationship between the Biden administration and social media companies to censor free speech, we immediately filed a motion to get these officials under oath, said Attorney General Schmidt, that's Eric Schmidt out of Missouri. It is high time that we shine a light on this censorship enterprise and force these officials to come clean to the American people. And this ruling will allow us to do just that. We'll keep pressing for the truth. All the way down at the bottom, blue dotted underline. This clears the way for Missouri and Louisiana to gather discovery and documents from the Biden administration officials and social media companies. Now, This is where I think we're starting to see a lot of scrambling going on. And of course, with Elon Musk purchasing Twitter and then immediately firing some of their top sensors, some of their C-suite sensors, 
you can clearly see the game is on. There's a lot at stake at this. So we're going to see just an incredible amount of propaganda this side against that side. They're going to try and frame it as a left versus right issue. But to me, it's not. This is not left, right. This is up, down. Free speech is on the right side of history. Censorship is on the wrong side of history. This is right from wrong in this particular case. And if that censorship goes too far, according to our friend and colleague over there, Matthias Desmet, hey, it could end up in mass psychosis, which ends up ultimately in mass atrocities. So that puts it into the not just right from wrong, but right from evil. So if censorship gone far enough, always ends in a very bad place historically. So we have to talk about what's involved in this because there was a very, very interesting thing that happened a while back, long time ago, when the internet was young and and we had um, this thing, code section 230, which is titled Protection for Private Blocking and Screening of Offensive Material. Now, this was something that was allowed to that was designed to allow the internet to take off. Good intentions. Let's talk about Section 230 quickly because I believe these big tech companies are actually in violation of Section 230, but it'll take me a couple steps to show you how I got there. So this is how I would build the case if I was a case builder, and I'm not. I'm not a lawyer, but I'm going to put on my, my inner prosecutor today because I'm a little aggrieved by having been censored so many times, bringing facts. So sections 230 goals, I agree with them. These are, these are good goals, right? To promote the continued development of the internet, nice. Second, to preserve the vibrant and competitive free market that presently exists for the internet and other interactive computer services unfettered by federal or state regulation. Unfettered, big word, meaning there really are, it's not even just that laws haven't been passed. Unfettered means that the, the federal government is not in there pulling strings on this whole thing because now we've crossed the line. So this is what Section 230 laid out. This is law, the law of the land. And so if the government's in violation of its own laws, well, there ought to be some sort of a consequence or remedy for that. Three, in green, they say here, to encourage the development of technologies which maximize user control over what information is received by individuals, family, schools who use the internet. Now, this was meant for parents, that little section there, to, for parents, presumably, to block what their children are being exposed to. Turned out that was an impossible task, right? Any 12-year-old boy can get around any parental controls in about five minutes, it seems. But, uh, but it, it, look, maximize user control. User control over what they receive. So that's me. I'm the user of the Internet. You're the user. We are the ones who were designed to have the control over that stuff. Now, four, the goal here was also to remove disincentives for the development and utilization of blocking and filtering technologies that empower parents to restrict their children's actions to objectionable material, etc. All right, so those are the goals. I'll let you read the other ones there. Perfectly fine. Here's where we get into the meat of this. The, this is it. It's very simple. I love Section 230. <laughs> it's like a fits in a single page. We can all understand it. Number one, it's protection for good Samaritan blocking and screening of offensive material. One, treatment of publisher or speaker, no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. So I would be the other information content provider, but this means the provider of an interactive computer service that's a that's, that is your platforms, right? That's your Twitters, your Facebooks, your YouTubes, your Vimeos, right? This is them. So it says, none of them shall be treated as the publisher or speaker 
of the content. But number two, civil liability. No provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be held liable on account of A, any action voluntarily taken in good faith to restrict access or availability of material that the provider or user considers to be obscene, lewd, lascivious, filthy, not sure I could tell you the difference between those last three words, excessively violent, harassing, or otherwise objectionable, which is a vague statement there, whether or not such material is constitutionally protected. No provider shall be held liable on account of any action they voluntarily take in good faith. So this is really the section here where A, the interactive computer service provider shall not be the, the creator of the content or B, um, they have to have taken whatever action they took in good faith to pull material out. Now, here's where it gets a little murky. What if that same entity, we'll call this one of these social media giants, is busy curating, only preferentially moving, removing one side of a story, whether that's conservative while promoting liberal views, whether that's taking out this side of the medical debate, but only leaving this side of the medical debate or completely shunning all independent medical observers and, and researchers and only promoting the government's point of view. Now, all of a sudden, we have to wonder, is that really running afoul of or is that still protected by the Section 230 Good Samaritan Clause. And I don't think it is. So good faith means you have to put all your resources at making sure that you are in good faith. That means putting all your effort forward to really get to the bottom of the matter, making sure that you are making the right decision. If you're going to wait in at all, the alternative is to just let the free market of information of ideas have a scrum, liberal voices, conservative voices, atheists, religious people, just let them have at it, right? As long as they're not doing some of those lewd, lascivious, filthy, excessively violent, and other things like that. So that would be one way. The other way, though, is when you wade in and say, mm, we really, it's, we believe, and you could believe in the best of your deepest of hearts that you're doing the right thing. We have to suppress these voices and elevate these. You can believe that, but I no longer think you are subject to the exclusion of Section 230. I think your civil liability goes, right out the window. All right. So this just happened to me on October 25th. I've had a channel. We've had uh, videos up on Vimeo as a, as a company. Peak Prosperity is my company. My, my videos have been up there for, I don't know, 12, 14 years. I forget. Anyway, uh, my account has now been removed, completely removed, reason, repeated, guideline, violations by Vimeo. So Vimeo's made the decision that some of my material is objectionable in good faith. They've taken their best good faith stance at this and said, it's too objectionable. It's going to lead to some vast public harm if it continues to be out there. So that's how they've judged it. Now, I did go back and forth with them. Dan R of Vimeo Trust and Safety got back to me after I responded back and said, mm, I'm not sure. This seems a little suspect. And he wrote here, it sounds like you may have missed some of our previous messages. Unfortunately, your account was terminated for repeated violations of the terms and services. The strikes are one, election fraud, voter misinformation. I just was running through data and it's all verified data because that's the kind of guy I am. Two, episode 80, part two, health misinformation and vaccine misinformation. So I was going across all the recent changes that had happened with the flip-flops in particular. That one was talking about what happened with that recent revelation, very widely published across the internet, by the way, about when the European uh, member asked the Pfizer exec about transmission. 
So I think you're all familiar with that. And then the third strike there was health misinformation and vaccine misinformation, which was another episode I had. So they dug back a bit. And but what they didn't do is they didn't say, and here's what's wrong with any one of these things. They didn't say, here's your factual information that's that's factually wrong. No need to do that. They've judged it. Right. So they judged on their own that this was the case. Now, this is where we get back into good faith. What kind of good faith effort do you need to make in order to say that you've taken every step to assure that in good faith you have removed dangerous, misleading, lewd, lascivious, whatever, all that other stuff, right? Okay, so uh, so Vimeo, they say here, does not allow health-related content that might cause people to take dangerous or unproven treatments or refrain from taking indicated precautions or treatments that the U.S. CDC or WHO recommend. Okay, well, that's their right as a company. They can say that, but of course, you know, the thin ice that are on here is that the CDC and WHO have have flip-flopped themselves many, many times over the course of this whole thing and obviously got a lot of things wrong. In fact, CDC got a lot more things wrong than I did over the entire scope of this thing. But comprehensively, I, when I get it wrong, it's very minor compared to when the CDC gets it wrong. But that said, um, they say specifically Vimeo does not allow videos that convey false or misleading health-related information that has a serious potential to cause public harm, but they couldn't identify any particular thing or refuse to or didn't feel they had to of anything I had put forward. Perpetuates false or misleading claims about that safety thing down there or claims the coronavirus is a hoax or promotes various other conspiracy theories around the virus. I don't know what those other conspiracy theories are. I don't, I've never claimed it's a hoax, but I have talked about the lab leak. Um, So maybe they didn't like that. At any rate, that's what they said. These are my strikes. That's where it went forward. Now, here's where I think we get out of the good faith arena. This is the Vimeo sensors right here. We just met uh, Twitter sensors up close and personal this last week. So let's bring these forward. Carolina Kay, she is the director of trust and safety operations at Vimeo, formerly at Etsy. So obviously deep qualifications there. We've got uh, Fayad, who works in uh, Bengaluru. Looks like a lot of people are at Bengaluru. That seems to be an an offshore site where they probably have people in India who are busy um, helping to figure out, you know, what to tag and flag and all that other stuff. We got James Sox out of Brooklyn, New York. We got another uh, Sandish out of Bengaluru. We got Daniel S. I'm not sure if Dan S. is the same as the Dan R. who responded to me. I suspect it is, but that's a jump I had to make. J.K. out of New York, New York, uh, Jessica out of Farmingdale, New York, and then Brian Cooper out of Massapequa, New York. So those are your sensors. There they are. And um, this is the Vimeo sensor. So I got more to say about them, but just because we never know when we're going to get censored next, please, if you don't hear from me, if I'm not, if you're watching this on YouTube and I seem to have gone away, oh, it's a possibility, of course, or you were looking for me on Vimeo, couldn't find me there anymore, or as you'll see soon, LinkedIn as well. This is, it's like a thing is happening. You can always follow me at these places. Increasingly, we are promoting and putting our videos up on Sovereign.media there. You can find us on Odyssey, on Rumble, and of course, at peakprosperity.com. But if you really want to be sure not to miss anything, go ahead and sign up, become a member at Peak Prosperity, and you will get emails and notifications whenever I post new content, which is all the time, usually three pieces a week uh, or maybe four. So that's all, all that's found at Peak Prosperity. Out here in public, usually just one a week. So come check us out there now. So question, is it good faith to staff up key censorship censorship positions with unqualified people? So as you saw, 
they didn't like what I had to say about medical misinformation. They, in their judgment, caused harm. So if it was this guy, Dan S., who signed it as Dan R., I think it probably was. We should note here, Dan S. does have a degree in German from VCU. Jessica has her BA in film and cinema from Hofstra. Fayed has a bachelor's in computers. James Sachs is, has a degree in art from Skidmore and metalsmithing from SUNY. That's a pretty cool thing. Sandish, bachelor's in technology. Brian Cooper, computer science, Stony Brook. Now, how many people on there do you think are qualified in good faith to weigh in on whether something is or is not misinformation in the medical field? My point here is not to denigrate these fine people. I'm sure they're all wonderful and very smart, all of that. But I would think that if you wanted to be comfortably on the safe side of in good faith, you would actually hire people who had appropriate qualifications once you've decided to dial down one whole set of voices and raise up one other whole set of voices. If you have nobody qualified and you are a company worth billions of dollars on the open market, then it's kind of a weird thing to claim, oh, we couldn't afford to, or whatever they are gonna claim, I think they felt they didn't have to. But to me, this is actually a massive oversight. All the people out there who are engaged in censorship on any particular topic area, you really, if you're a big company like this, it is incumbent on you to get up the curve, actually have somebody who is, who's got deep expertise, who could justify with data, conclusions, legal concepts, could interface with your legal department to explain why this made sense in this case. By the way, every single one of my videos, I come with the receipts. I can back up everything I say. Am I always right? No, but that's how science works. That's how free speech works. That's how we develop ideas, concepts. And as humans, is we stumble and feel and grope. And sometimes it's by braille and other times it's blindfolded in the dark and we get our way to the truth eventually. But that's how it goes. One does not censor a whole block of inquiry and say, that's the best we can do. It's not. It's not even close to the best we can do. In fact, it's antithetical to everything we would want to think about in terms of either democracy or progress. So that's why I care about it so much. These people are holding us back. Now, by the way, uh, I will note here that Vimeo has not bothered to upgrade its policies to match the science. These are current policies because I had to go and check once they decided they were going to censor me here. So they say here under that kind of misinformation there, we do not allow claims that these things are unsafe for a general population, unless the CDC or WHO have substantiated the claim. Hmm, that's it, that's it. So they're saying right now, the only claims they will allow have to come from uh, these official US government or international bodies, that's it. The, this, I mean, I guess if you were a, a key research university and you had a, a key finding that these two institutions hadn't caught up with yet, Tough luck, you're out of biz, right? But um, that's what they go there, go with. But look at that third bullet point underlined in blue. They say that natural immunity is better than that other acquired immunity right there. You're not allowed to claim that. Now, you know who does claim that? It's as good as CDC. That's who says that. We know that now. Um, as well, that last claim down there that those things are not necessary to combat the spread of infectious diseases. That's uh, a weird thing to, I'm not sure where, I'm not even sure whoever's claimed that or where that came from. Um, but 
certainly that's starting to trend into this whole idea of do these things actually prevent transmission? And the answer to that is no. So I think that last bullet point needs to be clarified and amended. But companies a little bit lazy about that doesn't see fit to actually update their policies with current information, which tells me they're not operating in good faith, right? If you're operating in good faith, you have all these people working at this thing. You dig through your policies and you say, hey, are these things still in accordance with what, what these bodies are saying? Because we're telling people that you have to be in alignment with what these bodies are saying, but then your own stuff down there is actually out of alignment with much of the data, if not even what these August bodies are saying. So kind of a, kind of a hole there. I think there's an exposure from a Section 230 standpoint. In addition, in green box down there, we do not allow content that promotes an agent or treatment to use for use to vaccinate against a particular infectious disease if it has not been specifically approved for such purpose by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration or another similar governmental body. The way that's worded, I think your lawyer should go over this one more time, Vimeo, because it's worded really weird. It says, do not allow content that promotes an agent or treatment for use to vaccinate. I'm not even aware of any such thing that's ever come forward. I'm not sure what you're reacting to or what that statement's meant to protect against, but an agent or treatment to use to vaccinate. I think the word vaccinate, you got the wrong word in there. Little pro tip, you probably were looking for uh, an agent or treatment for use to treat. Not Anyway, so unless we're starting to blur the waters and the vaccines are actually treatments, which is a weird thing because they're not supposed to be that. At any rate, Weird policy here. It wasn't overly clear. Um, by the way, let's take a quick look at Vimeo here. Um, not doing that good. So, so Vimeo, if you're listening, this was a horrible business decision, right? First up, y'all haven't been that great of a service for me in the first place. I don't really care that we've parted ways. You know, it doesn't really bother me. And I don't even care if you say you're leaving me. I'll let you have that one. It doesn't matter because you didn't do anything to cross promote my channel within your community. You didn't build the critical mass. You had a decent streaming platform. That was cool. Good, good streaming, reasonable upload, nice quality. The, the product was okay, but the execution of it didn't help me as the content creator really get broader visibility and build an audience. So you didn't do on that part. And by the way, you have tons of competition now and the market has already figured that out from a high of $57 as recently as May of 21, down to $3.74 a share and almost a straight slide down. And by the way, these are not great stats going on in here. And your net income, it's not gonna be helped by the complete withdrawal of the fees that came from my company. All of these things not looking good. So, um, Go woke, go broke is what I'm looking at here. Who are the top shareholders? Is the, and I have to ask if this is a loss leader for them. FMR LLC is Fidelity Management and Research, of course. We're looking here at BlackRock. We got Vanguard. We got Jackson Square Partners. So between them, you, you have lots and lots, millions and millions of, of dollars of holdings in there. Looking at Jackson Square Partners in here really quick. Um, oh, where did I put that? Oh, I didn't bring it up. At any rate, in their last in their last filing with the SEC, I had a, a little piece which I somehow didn't drop in here that showed that they had uh, reported that they had seventy seven million dollars worth of of Vimeo. They hadn't sold any, and now their stake is worth forty three million. So obviously, that dark red spot right there not working out for the people who are in the investors in there. But I'm wondering, you know, these it, who really is making the decisions, right? Who's making the decisions over? 
when to censor, which direction to censor in, you know, how is that being made? And surprisingly, you see these same names showing up over and over again on the holding pages of companies who uh, seem to be really invested in pushing forward with the government narrative. Now, I get it. Government has a point of view. It happens to think that if it follows these policies, better things will result politically for public health, all of that. But there's a really clear line now between what the government can do and what private companies can or should be able to do. And the blurring of that gets us to a really odd, odd part. So let's talk about Section 230 real quickly, because if these companies lose the Section 230 coverage, massive liability could result. So in Wikipedia here, they did put this out and they said, in analyzing the availability of, of the immunity offered by Section 230, courts generally apply a three-prong test. A defendant must satisfy each of the three prongs to gain the benefit of immunity. First, the defendant must be a provider or user of an interactive computer service. So they are the provider of it. And, you know, if somebody wants to, if I, if I owned a big internet, you know, a social media giant, I am the provider, so I'd be the defendant in this particular case. So I would want to, yes, check, that's me, okay. Uh, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a provider. To the cause of action asserted by whoever's suing me, the plaintiff must treat the defendant as the publisher or speaker as of the harmful information at issue. Now that's where the exclude, that's where you get to jump away because I can go, I, I didn't create, I, no, I just, I didn't create the content. Oop, you're out, clear. Free and clear, ding, because I've satisfied that particular thing. And third, you must also uh, be able to uh, satisfy this prong. The information must be provided by another information content provider, i.e. the defendant must not, not be the information content provider of the harmful information at issue. So here there's positively harmful information and then there's negative or absence of, of, of information. So like if, um, if you were about to go into a mine shaft and I knew that there was an explosive charge in there that was just about to go off, but didn't tell you that. That would be a negative. I would be, in, I would be responsible for having been negligent in giving you appropriate information, right? This is the whole sub part of the, the, the whole subtext underlying informed consent. The idea is that if you give people complete information, then they get to make an informed decision. And then if they do that, whatever happens next is kind of on them. So I've told you there's a, there's a charge in the mind and you go in anyway with that knowledge, I no longer have that liability of negligence on me. So if we look at this, they have to satisfy all three of these things, right? Defendant has to be the provider. Two, the cause of action asserted by the plaintiff must treat the defendant as the publisher or speaker of that harmful information. And three, the information must be provided by another information content provider. But what if I am that internet service provider or I'm that, I'm that platform and I preferentially only give you one block of information, but I take this other block away. And it turns out this was important information for full informed consent that in fact, by taking this information away, I had knowingly or unknowingly elevated the risk. Now, unknowingly would be one thing, but we could argue that maybe they should have known that in fact they had the resources to have had a full-throated debate, to have really understood what is truly known, what is truly not known, and where the gray zone was in the middle. And of course, we've learned a lot together along the way, no question about that. And this last year has been mostly about just trying to get 
this same repeated information that everybody now knows over the sort of common knowledge informational goal line. All right, so here are my questions about a sin of omission. One, if a social media giant decides to promote certain information that proves to be harmful while blocking questions that could have proven life-saving and they had the resources to, in good faith, hire people with actually appropriate backgrounds to assess those, that, that lack of balance, have they actually committed a bad faith action? I think they have. So, you know, I guess that the, the test for this would be, would a reasonable person or corporation have been able to detect that they neither had the expertise nor the logical or evidence-based backing to make the censorship calls they made? Now, I think clearly they've crossed that reasonableness line on the bad side, that I think it was very possible to, to very reasonably have assembled people put a few extra bucks into maybe calling in some of those other experts that are out there, let them go back and forth, decide in a good faith effort, you know, there's some, there's, you know what, we, we don't really know where the truth is in this case. Therefore, it's in our best interest to not act as the content provider in the sense that what we're doing is preferentially removing one kind of content while leaving another kind of content. That's how I would frame that argument. I'm not sure maybe you lawyers out there can tell me if that would work out or not. But I also have to ask about for the social media companies, was there a massive failure of internal counsel from their own legal team? I trust lawyers to, to be the ones who are gonna raise these issues. Let's review. First Amendment, also a delightfully simple cluster of words that all of us can interpret and understand. Similarly, the First Amendment guarantees freedoms concerning religion, expression, assembly, and the right to petition. It forbids Congress from both promoting one religion over others and also restricting an individual's religious practices. It guarantees freedom of expression by prohibiting Congress from restricting the press or the rights of individuals to speak freely. Now, in this context, prohibiting Congress, Congress shall make no laws, right, prohibiting you know, uh, any of these things but also Congress appropriates the money. And by Congress, this is really, we're talking about the government at this point in time, the government and particularly its enforcement arms. That's how this all comes together. So check this out. We now know that documents have been revealed. This just came out in an article in The Intercept today that Facebook and Twitter closely collaborated with the Department of Homeland Security, the FBI, to police disinformation, plans to expand censorship on topics like the withdrawal from Afghanistan, expand the censorship on the withdrawal from Afghanistan, origins of COVID, and info that under, undermines trust in financial institutions. Ooh, 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 this is getting real blurry right here. This is where if you're internal counsel for these things, what are you guys doing? Holy crakey, I'm not even a lawyer and I can go, wow, I would have some serious boardroom questions for these people saying, hey, listen, we're a private company. If we're suddenly seen and we get in bed and we now blur the line, we blow all sorts of our liability protections out the window. And we, we potentially, this is like a shareholder issue. There's all kinds of things that come up very, very quickly. So I think there you have crossed the First Amendment line. This is continuing on with the same uh, tweet thread from Lee Fang, the Intercept article. FBI agent Laura Demlo was in communications with Facebook that led to the suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop story in 2020 over the false allegation that it was disinfo. This year, she met with Twitter and DHS to stress 
we need a media infrastructure that is held accountable. Ouch. Pursuant to the third-party subpoena, Meta has identified the FBI's FITF as supervised by Laura Demhow and Elvis Chan. There he is again. He's getting subpoenaed in that uh, Missouri case. As involved in the communications between the FBI and Meta that led to Facebook's suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop story, which we now know, and which the FBI certainly knew at the time, was absolutely not disinformation. Now, tell us about where that First Amendment line is. Tell me how Meta's lawyers are not absolutely on top of this in doing what they need to do. This is a failure of internal counsel that's extraordinary, and I can only imagine the potential financial consequences that could result from something like this blowing up. This is clearly where counsel should say, whoa, you know, one of the things we wouldn't really want to be on the wrong side of would be First Amendment issues. That's it's kind of a biggie. That one could be very disruptive to our overall operations over time. Finally, here in this uh, Twitter thread here, Lee Fang writing, Facebook and Twitter created special portals for the government to rapidly request takedowns of content the portals along with NGO partners, any guesses as to which NGO partners those might be, used to censor a wide range of content, including obvious parody accounts even, content disagreeing with government pandemic policy, even parody accounts. Wow, such a thin skin. We can't have any questioning of what we're up to. We can't have any countervailing facts. We can't have any discussion, no debate, not even any parody. Wow, that's a humorless sort of an alignment we got going on there. That's what's been happening, and this is completely unacceptable. This is totally anti-American, but I think this is anti-human. This is not the right way to go, unless you believe that you know totalitarian censorship is the right way to go. So this is actually here, uh, Li Fang writing still, the emails and documents show close collaboration between DHS and private sector Twitter's Vijaya Gadi, who just got fired, um, fired by Elon Musk last week, met monthly with the DHS to discuss censorship plans. Microsoft exec texted DHS, platforms have got to get comfortable with the government. That's how far along in this story are. Platforms have got to get comfortable with the government. Oh my goodness, that is, that's strong stuff right there. But it's gotten this far. This is how far along this path we are. Of course, in response to Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter, Elizabeth Warren asked if that wasn't dangerous for our democracy, whatever that means to her, I have to question if a U.S. senator should believe that free or speech is somehow dangerous for democracy. I mean, honestly, I must have slept through that portion of my civics class that talked about the danger of free speech to democracy. Uh, that was, I missed out on that one. Um, or is it simply more the case that alternative views are considered objectionable by Warren and by many other people in this story that they can't stand anymore the idea that you might hold a different point of view from me? Nope, it's we all have to have the same point of view or somehow the world isn't a safe place or a good place or able to make any progress or it's we can't get to this utopia we envision. Whatever the story is, that has never been true. This is a dangerous, dangerous ideology at play that suggests that there's only one point of view and only that can come from the very top. In fact, that the top always has the correct point of view. That's not democracy, Elizabeth Warren. All right. So if this was a failure of internal counsel, I have to ask my questions are one, if a social media giant decides to promote certain government policies by suppressing any countering data, factual information or opinions even, or even parody. <laughs> two, how did their internal counsel not recognize the extremely dangerous position this would place them in? And 
Three, does this not expose them to a horrendous possibility of shareholder and bondholder lawsuits if they're found to have committed growth, ethical, ethical violations, and slumped in their fiduciary responsibilities? I'd say that's fiduciary. Um, uh, I missed that word out there. So fiduciary malfeasance. All right. So at any rate, uh, I think there's plenty to go around. By the way, I did get I did get censored out by LinkedIn too. LinkedIn took me down for three things. My three strikes there was I put up this um, public video that was here and still here on YouTube that was around the worst mask study I'd ever seen. If you remember, I was really parodying it. It was the worst science I'd ever seen. They 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 took studies with an n of one and 42 variables, but only sliced this one out. It was awful. That thing was a preprint slid into the dustbin of history. Thankfully, it was complete junk. But Twitter said, that's a strike. Two, um, they didn't like this one here where I was just recounting exactly what the CDC had just updated on its own website and policies there. Um, so that was just me, again, just using the CDC's own data. And then that down there, finally, um, yeah, yeah, you can read that one. We're starting to see more and more tweets like this. This just came out October 27th. Uh, it's getting very bad. And so um, it, it's pretty obvious that something is going on here. I think these are a lot of buttons on here are actually responsible and they've been part of this whole censorship strategy. You can feel the winds turning a little bit now. Hopefully they turn a lot. Hopefully we don't just try and skip past this and we actually take a good hard look at this because this kind of censorship is very damaging. It's not helpful. It didn't help progress science any faster. It held us back. It harmed people. Inarguably, it did the exact opposite of what it was trying to do, which was to bring us together and to unify us. In fact, the way we do that is with full-throated debate and we have a raucous conversation in science and politics are sometimes bare-knuckled ugly because it just takes time to wrestle the truth out of the ether. And sometimes I'm wrong and sometimes you're wrong and we're both wrong, but we're both right. And we tack together towards the right answer and we get there. And that's just how it's supposed to work. That's how it is. But that's not acceptable to some people anymore. And that's where the battle lines are drawn right now. To me, it's no longer, it's not left, right. Even though a density of these people are weighing over on one side of the, of the overall ideological spectrum from left, right. But it's not about that. This is about right from wrong. This is about good from evil at this stage because following along the censorious pathway has never led to good outcomes historically. It's not gonna to lead to good outcomes this time and it has just led to bad outcomes just recently. We're just now finding out the immense harms that actually resulted from the lack of debate that should have, could have, would have happened if the right people and experts had been allowed to have an equal voice in the story. So that's what I wanted to tell you about this. By the way, part two, I'm gonna carry on with this, but even, with less internal censorship. And I got to talk about this because until you actually are able to see clearly the level of depravity and manipulations and censorship, you're going to have a hard time figuring out what's actually going on in this world. And you will be, unfortunately, the puppet whose strings are being pulled by some other people. They're working very hard at it. They're earnest. They're diligent. They care a lot. And that's what we're up against. So come check out part two if you want to. That's at peakprosperity.com only. And it's for members and I will be glad to talk with you there, answer any questions you might have about that. Let's hope this stays up. Who knows? We'll see. Best of luck, everybody. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time. Bye.